Welcome to Honest Retail, the weekly podcast that dishes out the truth about the latest news, trends, and blunders from the CPG, consumer, and retail industries. Now, here are your hosts, Cameron McCarthy, Taylor Foxman, and Carlton Fowler. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 34 of the Honest Retail Podcast. Uh, it's the OG3 here today. No guest. Uh, we're just getting down and dirty uh, with the original here. CJ, Taylor, how are you both doing? I'm good, Kim. Hey, by the way, I'm really excited by the topics today. I'm going to bring the energy because every single one of these. Is <laughs> yeah, we've got, some, we've got a good mix for sure. Taylor, how are you doing? And, and like, there's I'm nothing about Beyond Meat. Or or Oatly, it's amazing. Touche, yeah. touche. There is there, there is a Beyond Me, but it's it's it's, it's worth it. Yeah, it is yeah. it is worth it. Taylor, how how are you doing? Doing good, guys. I'm doing good. And sun's still shining, still warm outside here for a little bit longer, so I'll take it. So I'm good. Yeah. Uh, how are you, Cam? Did you run this? Did you do a big marathon or some? Something did, overachieving this weekend. I did a half marathon to to get ready for the for the New York City marathon in a few weeks. So, yeah, it's uh, it was it was fun time in in Jersey City. So getting getting ready for the big thing here in a few weeks. So it'll be good. Um, but yeah, tired from all the running for sure. Um, yeah, and getting get ready to go to Expo East here. Taylor, are you going down there for the week or no? Um, no, I'm actually traveling, but I, uh, I, I, you are all over Expo East. If, if someone does not visit the Weestock area, then I think they have not been on the internet at this point. So. Yeah, we are, we are inundating everyone's inbox for sure. That's- I love it. I love it. Is Friday st- like still a fairly packed Expo East day? Yeah. So, cause Saturday's, Saturday's still a full day or not a full day, but like most of a day, right? Like you're there, it's like three, like people start packing up like at one or anyways. If I can get through a lot of stuff Wednesday and Thursday, maybe I'll jump on a plane Friday and try and come out. When's the party? Uh, Friday at seven, but yeah, Friday's going to be like basically day two of Expo West. I mean, obviously it's not that big, but it's like the same thing. Like day three is the dead day, but there's no like staggering of like this hall opens and this hall. It's just like on Wednesday, there's a smaller hall and then it goes away on Thursday. So yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I actually liked the Baltimore, uh, the the convention center better than like the Philadelphia one. Um, but Philly is like a, a little bit more like you know foodie town and a lot of options and stuff so it's like it's a good spot to visit for sure um cj any brands that caught your eye over last month or last week <laughs> to be honest <laughs> no um just because i mean september's been wild absolutely wild. i mean it, it kind of always is because like a lot of folks you know must be nice to just take all of august off um <laughs> like, everything funding kicking the high gear a lot of our updates go out in september so I um I've been doing nothing but um nothing but but heads down. Although I will do a shout out for one of our portfolio companies. Like I I, I haven't. It's not like a tribal product as much as it is a buyable product. Um, Vint, uh, which is a a company that you know fractionalizes and securitizes you know really high end wine and spirits has had a couple of major exits for its portfolio in September. Like you know, with like, you know, IRRs of like 35% and, and, and stuff like that, you know, which juxtaposed with what's happening in the capital markets otherwise, like the S&P 500, 
it underscores even more why people should just pop in there and you know buy some first growth uh grand Cru burgundies and and uh, see what happens in a year it's great <laughs> uh for sure taylor how about you any brands that kind of caught your eye over last week yeah, so um, one of CJ and, and Goat Rodeo's investments is Speakeasy, which I've been with for a long time now. And we launched recently, this, this is a whole long story, but we launched a product called AU Vodka um, oh. on the platform. And I got in touch with the team and they flew in from London and they hand delivered me a gold bottle last night of the product and for i'm just everything about this amazes me first like i'm holding as we speak like a gold bottle with it's it, the the flavor is black grape come on come on Kim, show us Ted. okay hold on you guys i got it you gotta see this hold on hold on look at this thing <laughs> look at this thing it's nuts right did you so, like in ibiza, <laughs> ibiza ibiza however ibiza 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 right right, right. <laughs> i saw yeah. It's, it's, so, so this whole thing is mind boggling to me. So primarily this guy, I believe Charlie started this company and won't get a whole thing, but he has like all these inroads with like rappers and celebrities and hip hop artists, whatever. They are the number one selling, they told me, product online period in the UK. And they're outpacing Ciroc in UK and all these other things. So anyway, I am, they just launched here in the US through Speakeasy um, this month. So talking with them about, you know, whether or not I can help, but they're, you know, they've reached out about me helping potentially here in the U S but it's a, it's called black grape and they have one SK that's it. One flavor, just black grape in a big gold bottle. So I'm excited to try it. They said I should have it with either lemonade or Sprite. So more to come. Very excited. Dude, those, awesome. guys, those guys are selling so much vodka in Europe. It's wild. It's uh, wild, right? Wow. And just one flavor grape. Like one, one flavor. I love it. Like Ciroc, eat your heart out. Like gold. Yeah, that's, right. that's it. That's it. I was like, this is so epic. They do these events like in Ibiza or whatever. Ibiza, however y'all choose how, to how, say whatever. it. But yeah, it's whatever. You can put with Avicii. And, and then it's like the bottles, if you follow them, AU Vodka on social, it's like people are like riding the gold bottles. It's like in these clubs, it looks like a helicopter, but it's a bottle of grape vodka. Like too much for too much for a morning but anyway <laughs> and for me uh it's gonna be altitude beverage uh this week so um they're an oat milk latte um i'm not like a huge coffee drinker um <laughs> as i've said before but i do like the new like jitterless coffees that are coming out um and i thought this one was really good um the packaging's really cool it's like super outdoorsy uh like nitro cold brew uh yeah just is like uh this is one that i liked i tried it for the first time at bevnet live i want to say over the summer um but yeah a uh, big fan uh of the product for sure has have either of you tried it no, I just think this speaks to, sorry, I have to interject. I think this speaks to just like the wild discrepancy in all of us. Oh, like yeah. I'm talking about a black grape vodka in a gold bottle and you're talking about like non-jittery oat milk. Yeah, like, yeah. I keep much like, I'm a very, out. like, this is, I got to stay like even keel throughout my day. If I get like a little out of flow or flux, I'm, I'm in, I'm in a tailspin. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm the morning routine guy. Like I got to stay, like if I get out of the routine, it's, I'm all in a funk for the rest of the day. So this is, uh, this is right up my alley for sure. Yeah. There's, there's Cameron has not been in a club for a solid decade. So, uh, it's, I had to retire at an early age. Um, awesome. So let's go into 
uh, the topics uh, for this week. We'll go into like our salacious TMZ news uh, to start because uh, it was kind of all over the place. And uh, I don't know if funny or entertaining is the word, but just like kind of like odd news uh, for the industry. Uh, but Beyond Meat uh, decided to suspend their COO following arrest. Uh, if anyone has seen kind of like the breakdown of this arrest, uh, I guess it was a case of road rage. Uh, I think the person was like leaving the University of Arkansas football game, uh, got pulled over uh, or like um, like got in an altercation with somebody to the point where like he was just throwing blows and like bit off uh, a part of the guy's nose. So he like went full Tyson on this guy. And yeah, it was a big backlash, obviously. And so it was like kind of interesting because people were like, this was a plant from Purdue because that's where he came from to like screw with the company and stuff. Like there was all these different theories out there. Um, but yeah, I mean, CJ, when you see like something like this with a big company, like obviously it's an HR nightmare, but like, what's your, uh, what's your initial thoughts on something like this? Do you think that he knows how ironic this is <laughs> oh man you've had that pun just stuck in there for for a good week <laughs> um no I, that's really i mean like this this is this is crazy and of course it's bad and like i'm it would be a nightmare if you were an investor but also kind of funny because it is funny um i so I, I mean there's <laughs> we, we could just move on to the next topic because oh, yeah Although here's the thing is Taylor runs PR. So I'd love to know Taylor, how you mitigate something like this. It is. There's not much to do here. I mean, unless something comes out that someone says like, they're just like mentally unstable, which is always like the, it's like always the, like the fallback because no one's going to push harder. Like no one's going to be like, tell us like what exactly is not stable. So if you just say, look, look, like this person has a lot going on. There's a lot of stress and they're very mentally unstable at the moment. It's the only way you can really go. Uh, Cause obviously there is something going on in the noggin. So I, I luckily I haven't been in a situation where any executive I've worked with has been, <laughs> sorry, but uh, I would, uh, yeah, I would just always there if you, if someone asked, I would try to avoid at all costs any type of response from him. But uh, yeah, I would just say, look, you know, obviously something was going on and we are working on it on the back end. I love it. I love it yeah. So I think they, I think they obviously handled it probably the best that they could uh like given the circumstance but it's like i think he was a relatively new hire too so it, it's like it's not even someone that you're going to bat for who's like helped build other company and been there for a while so uh yeah it was pretty tough and the other thing too i didn't put it like in the comments but like uh for what we were going to talk about but like another like thing that came out was like i don't know if you guys saw but the we talk obviously like the last few episodes about bang energy but like the the guy right. jack who started it like i think he like filed a grand theft felony criminal charge against pepsi um like the global ceo of pepsi and like the ceo of usa pepsi um so like i was like did either of you see that like come out um and like we don't have to really touch on it but i just thought that, that was super interesting and I, I don't know if it's more of a publicity stunt than like an actual criminal investigation but um he, he's basically just kind of like going after the fact that like you know like they didn't like um hold up their end of the bargain of a deal and things like that mm. all right nothing uh back on that one so <laughs> we'll move to the next one um all right, so something cool that I thought was really interesting in retail tech uh, that came out was kind of how Instacart's repositioning themselves um, here in the future. I think a lot of us kind of understood Instacart was going to have to um, start going in different verticals to expand past 
um, just people going to the grocery store and packing out your groceries for you and delivering them. Um, and what we saw is kind of this concept of what they're calling a connected store. Um, the best way I can describe it is it's, it's kind of everything that you're going to get at that Amazon Go store, um, kind of white labeled for any retailer. Um, and so your storefront can get set up with uh, scan and pay, uh, these things called carrot tags, which are essentially just QR codes that people can scan and get nutritional facts, uh, caper carts, so people can simply fill up their cart and then leave. Um, I think a lot of really cool innovations. Um, but yeah, CJ, I kind of wanted to start with you and, and get your thoughts um, you know, on that. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head in that this is almost like a white label Amazon. And I, I think it comes at the right time too, as like Amazon is kind of figuring out just how hard grocery is. Like there was all this, you know, storm and fury when they bought, um, when they bought Whole Foods. And, and, and I, I just don't think the product has rolled out exactly like they, they, they've wanted it to. Um, and I, I, here's the thing is like, like all good pieces of technology, I imagine that when this thing rolls out in its 1.0 version, a lot of people will bash it. Um, it, you know, it'll, it'll be buggy, but like, that's the whole point of technology is the 2.0 and the 3.0 can all of a sudden make these leaps where suddenly you can't imagine shopping without it um, at, at any of your stores. And I think that's what Instacart's betting on. It's just like, Hey, this can, this can get really good. We can start to control a lot of your shopping experience, whether it's through delivery or in store, um, and and you know the 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 other thing that kind of jumped out at me about the article was that like they, they were acknowledging like the role that like surprise and delight and kind of just like strolling the grocery aisle still has for some people, um, and, and I, like I wouldn't even be surprised to like if this isn't setting the stage for and I stress this many years from now, um, Instacart starting to control like the virtual the virtual reality shopping experience um and and the ability to, to to pick your cart that way because i don't i don't know about you two but my shopping is is very rarely dominated by only a list um partly because i i, I like to explore in grocery stores but I, I tend to very much enjoy walking around the aisles and looking at things and half my cart purchases are things that i knew i needed going in and the other half are things that i found that i that i, that I liked while i was there so how instacart eventually serves that need will kind of dictate how successful the company is in the future. And I think this is the start. Yeah, I, I think the amount of consumer data they're going to be collecting through all this, I mean, they're going to be able to understand like, is, if this person buys this product online, this person shops for this in store, this person's like a really early adopter who wants to scan a QR code and learn about the nutritional facts before purchasing. Um, I mean, just the profile that they're going to be able to collect on consumers, um, I think is going to be pretty interesting. And it's also just a stronghold, like, there's no way, unless you know, you're know you a large retailer like a Target or a Walmart, that you're going to want to build this out internally. And so all of that first-party data that they're capturing, like this turnkey solution that any retailer can turn on, like this is like a no-brainer for them uh, to make their um, in-store shopping experience feel like these bigger retailers. Um, Even the, just the restocking stuff is going to be revolutionary. Like, I mean, like, you know, I'm invested in this company called Nectar, and they they sell out so frequently that like, at this point their distributors don't even know what to do with them because they 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 you know they're almost like not big enough to be a focus of a distributor yet, but in the footprint they're in, they sell out of floor displays like in a day. So like they, they've taken it upon themselves to like activate all their communities to text them when they're out of stock so that they, they can send all those texts to the distributor. Like 
something like this instacart would just fix that for all brands like and especially for for you know small to medium-sized stores that don't have i think the level of of supply chain and and just data management that your walmarts your targets or your krogers have to keep things in stock like this is a lifesaver for for brands that that can't go out of stock because they're they're trying to grow yeah no i i i agree fullheartedly in terms of like just how better of a process this makes the full shopping experience not just like kind of what we're expecting uh, from the front end as consumers taylor what was your thoughts uh kind of reading the article and seeing where the company is going to go yeah, I don't have much else to add. I think I agree. I think that this is going to be kind of like the future. You know, I don't know if every facet of this connected store will be something that stays, you know, forever long lasting. But I think generally I agree with you guys. Like this seems to be whether, you know, there'll be kinks or not probably, right? The onset, but this feels like the future. It feels like the future of how a lot of this will probably go with them kind of leading the charge. So not much else to add other than it all seems to make sense. It seems like, you know, a forward thinking idea and I'm excited to see how it kind of rolls out. For sure. Yeah, no, I think uh, it, it'll definitely be interesting to track um, and see how they continue to iterate um, to make it, um, you know, more readily accessible for these emerging or these small mom and pop stores and like even like you know, under 30 store chains to be able to compete with the larger companies. And I think the cool thing with shop, with not Shopify, but Instacart uh, is they also have that built-in consumer base too. So can they initiate them? Can they get them into the store? And can they almost build, bring their customer base into whatever store that they want? Uh, I think that's a really cool value proposition too. Uh, moving over to another brand that we love to talk about, Liquid Death. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people that go into random barber shops and coffee shops uh, and tattoo shops, uh, we'll often see liquid death. I think it really resonates with a bunch of different um, consumers, I think, that are looking for their product outside of just the traditional grocery setting. Uh, and so I was really excited to, I think it just got retweeted by a bunch of people that picked it up, but they launched this new program, which I believe is called Death Peddlers, where they'll basically sponsor your select indie store to purchase the product. So if I had a tattoo shop or a coffee shop, I could purchase a case through Amazon, submit the proof that I purchased it uh, to Liquid Death, uh, and then they would uh, uh, give me some sort of incentive um, back to me to be able to uh, take on a little bit of that cost and make it easier for me to purchase because obviously for some of these smaller stores, getting it through their distributor just doesn't make sense. Uh, I think it's a great way to get the product into more um, kind of alternative channels uh, that these liquid death shoppers uh, shop at. And uh, yeah, Taylor, let's start with you. What was your thoughts on this kind of approach? And, and are you surprised more brands don't kind of promote this um, kind of creative distribution model? Yeah, I mean, when I saw it, I agree. I thought it was really innovative. But then again, I was kind of like, why haven't more people done this before? I think it's also just being really strategic with like who they're looking to do this with uh, in particular. And then obviously, once they get them on board, they'll become kind of hopefully brand loyalists. So I think it's great. And obviously, like it feels very synergistic, right? It's kind of like they're reaching out proactively to be like, we want to partner with these like mining companies, like for those who are on board, like come on the journey and we'll help you out initially. So I think it's great. Uh, it's also like helping to expand their community with like this whole, like, I don't know if I love the name, like death peddlers. I think that's, I love it. I, no, it like doesn't, I, I mean, I like, I like it. It's just kind of like, well, like, I don't know for me, it's like, doesn't roll off the tongue, but I like the general, I maybe, get it. Maybe death dealers could have gone that way. Peddlers, like 
Something about peddlers. Yeah, death, Pe- death dealers. Yeah, peddlers almost seems like uh, like you're just doing it on like a street corner, like like somewhat illegally. You're like peddling stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're like peddling but stuff. But that's probably. I have to imagine there was multiple meetings for the name, and that's probably what it stuck for some reason. Uh, but yeah, is it also also? I have a quick question. So, like, this is maybe more for you two than I, I don't really know how this works. But like, generally, let's say like a all a pop or something, and this is more of a question. Like, they want to get into more like you know tattoo shops throughout the country. Can they technically do this, or do they usually go through like a some type of like I don't know how any of this works, or do they usually go through like a buyer or something who then sells it in like is this that uncommon i don't know how this works so yeah. you're, oh sorry cj well i i, I please go ahead because I, I i'm going to speak forever on this because this is fascinating to me so, so get, yeah i don't yeah, know i mean like I when i've like when you're like a like a super small emerging brand right like i used to work for fine and raw chocolate we didn't actually have a distributor everything was self-distributed like i would stop into the store like literally pitch the owner and then they would stock the product and i'd bring it back later that day and then it would be my responsibility to go check in on that store right so like every month or two months and call on them so it's a pretty tedious task like as you grow obviously like you're putting together dsd networks and those distributors have like boots on the ground and they're going in and doing that um, and growing out those local stores for you. So it's really just like um, there, there usually is like a buyer, correct? But it's not necessarily like a buyer in the sense of like a buyer at Target where that's all they're doing, that this person's usually doing multiple things uh, inside the company. Yeah. I mean, I think what really unlocks this is you have to remember that more so than any of its competitors, Liquid Death is a marketing company. Um, and and they care about things like being the most distributed beverage, the fastest growing beverage of all time. Because like, if you look at this from a pure economic standpoint, like, I, I, this is this is selling, you know, potentially depending on how much the rebate is, selling things at a loss and hoping to make it up on scale. Um, and, and, and it wouldn't be right for a lot, a lot of, of brands. It is right here because, because there's going to be so much demand for this. And like, like I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time understanding how distributors work. It like distributors lose so much money dropping off one case somewhere, you know, to your point, Cam, it's because you had to show up, you were, you were a rep, you know, they've got to have reps that are going to go store. Like, like, you know, I'm looking at, uh, you know, a startup right now that is, you know, basically eating like five or six years of, of distributor data at a time and, you know, coming to the conclusion that maybe like as many as 70% of, of distributor routes are unprofitable as, as a function of small, small case drops. Um, and that's, that's going to have to change going forward. And I, and I suspect one of the ways that changes is Amazon. Like, it's so funny. I saw someone, I think it was Jason Starr react to to this on Twitter and say like, well, isn't this an opportunity for liquid death to build out the system themselves? And my initial reaction is I I guess, but Amazon's already spent about $50 billion building the infrastructure to do this. So like if anybody can make the long tail profitable via, you know, some kind of subscription oriented model, Amazon can. Um, And then, and then at least you're, you're, you're getting credit for those sales as liquid death. The only other one you, you asked about Olipop and that kind of triggered something in my head to like, oh, hi, is the other way you do this. Um, and I, I think the question that Liquid Death is going through is like when they go through, do I use an oh, hi 
or do I use an Amazon is while Ojai might accomplish it a little bit more profitably, um, Amazon is so much easier for all these accounts to actually use and remember and, and, and repeat on that the things that are valuable to liquid death, which is saying things like, hey, we're, we, have the hot, we, we have the fastest ACV growth of all time. Like it just makes more sense for them to go with the potentially in a lower profit option right now because they've banked so much on they're going to make it up on scale later that like what's what's one more what's what's one more brick in that wall um but like i i i do think overall that this notion of solving for the fact that owning trucks and centralized warehouses makes some percentage that is terrifyingly large of all retail accounts unprofitable to service is going to have to be solved and whether it's Amazon or Ojai or technology and software that solves it, it's got to get solved somewhere. And it's like an $800 billion problem. Yeah. And I think too, it goes after like, like fair and Mabel and right. Like this is really what that's, that's built for. Right. Like, cause like fair probably see this sees this as like, well, no, no, like you're supposed to do that through us. Right. Like mm -hmm. you're like, we're a marketplace for, for smaller stores, like one-off independence to go and find products and pull it through us for distribution. Um, so I think for them to see like Amazon doing this uh, and like the brand is rewarding them directly. Uh, like to me, that was more of like, Oh, like that puts them on notice, like a fair, a Mabel, a Tundra. <laughs> The, the, the logical conclusion of what you're saying is tell me why Amazon can't do fair better than fair. Yeah. I mean, they can, like they could, I mean, like uh, easily, like, and that's uh, I th the, the big issue we always see with those platforms is like the brands put their product on there. And since the, those platforms like a fair doesn't have a ground team, like a local DSD does, they don't generate sales for them. Uh, the brand is still needs to generate those sales. And so a lot of times the brand will sign up, they won't say anything for six months and they'll be upset with the platform. So this way is a little bit more proactive with how they're using Amazon. Uh, but I'll be super interested to see how it pans out. What um, the, the last thing I'll, I'll say here is where's Costco and all this? All right, like, like you know, if, if, if Amazon does this with some other brands and Ojai keeps doing its thing, like when is Costco Business Center going to, you know, pipe up and say, here's our offering. This is what we can do to compete in this. Yeah. No, that, that's that's interesting. I mean, like there's there's a ton of different angles here. There's a lot of potential players. Uh, I love what Ojai and everyone's building. But yeah, the, to me, this is like a shot against the bow for like those fairs and, and Mabels of the world, not necessarily like, um like dsds or anything like that so it'll be interesting to see like in typical i mean like <laughs> big segues in typical liquid death fashion like this is so much bigger than just like a program like like, like, like this is like like this is like questioning how distribution of beverage is going to happen in the future and i love it because liquid death like so it's, it's like that was kind of where my head was at that's what i was trying to right that's what i was trying to get to I was of, like, of course bigger than liquid yeah. death is causing these questions like because they always are causing these questions yeah it's just yeah. like it's it's thinking about the industry from someone who hasn't come from that industry and thinking it more from a marketing standpoint and like a lot of people just being like why can't we do that right um so yeah it's uh, it's awesome to see and I, I think like these companies that are forcing us to think about the bigger picture will also force you know emerging uh, beverage brands and things like that to also get more creative about it and again like if you have a community that's as strong as the liquid death community you set the rules like not the other way around and so like that's this power play has never really 
been this way, right? The retailer used to always have the crowds like and the and the customers. And now with the brand having that power too, it just changes the balance of power a ton, especially when the distributor has no consumer impact whatsoever. No one would care if someone other than Liquid Death did this, but yeah. if, that, if, if that helps Amazon figure out how to turn this into a, a broader program, awesome. Yeah. All right, well, let's go into another great uh, beverage brand. So Ourobora, uh closed an undisclosed funding round. Uh, it's going to be, I believe, their A round. Uh, it was led by uh, City Capital, uh, S-I-D-D-H-I, um, and some other great players in there, Consumer Ventures, Gangels, Seaside Ventures. Uh, love Paul, love the whole team at Ourobora, big fan of the product. Um, Taylor, let's start with you. What was your thoughts when you saw the raise, and, and how do you feel about the product and everything? Yeah, I mean, I love I love Paul too. I was talking to them this morning, and um, I'm happy. I'm super happy for them. What I and also like the people on board make a lot of sense. I would say what I liked most about it was actually I don't know if, if the, our whole community is listening in here, but if anyone saw like Paul's update personally, I'm always a big fan. We talk about like that's my bread and butter. I love like kind of analyzing you know, when people post things and like how they post it and like, I don't know, just stuff around kind of thought leadership. And I think he did a really interesting thing. And I think he did a very good job at how he announced it. Cause he was like, look, we're always talking about like looking forward, like looking ahead, we're using this money to do X, Y, Z. Right. But then like, he was like, I just want to take a step back and like, look back and <clears throat> went through every single <clears throat> kind of part of the journey that got him to where he is today. So anyway, I just thought from like a calm thought leadership perspective, I mean, generally I'm super happy for him and the team. I love the product. I think the team that he brought on in terms of investors makes sense. I've said, uh, but just as a aside from my viewpoint, I thought how he took a minute before kind of always thinking about, okay, we're going to use this to do X, Y, Z and moving ahead and scale, scale, scale. He's like, yes, but I just want to show you like where we started and how we got to where we are, which I think is, is important. I think that helps like a lot of, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs just, you know, see the journey, which is, you know, part of the, part of the whole process. So I really liked what he did on social around the raise. Yeah. I think just like being transparent with that process uh, and just like, kind of like anytime a brand can kind of like give us a peek behind uh, the curtain, like that's just so refreshing. Um, especially when, like, I think a lot of people raise and they announce it and it was just, it's more of like an assumption. Like, of course we were going to raise and like, you know, this, that was a little bit more of an appreciative, uh, moment and just taking some inventory of what they had you know, gone through, which I really appreciated as well. Um, CJ, you know, we had kind of, uh, talked a little bit, like for me with, with, um, Ourobor, like I love the product. Love the founding team. Uh, they're a great, we saw customers as well. So I always love them for that. Um, but like, I, I was always like, can this flavor profile push past like the early adopters and the consumers that are looking for funky things? Can this go to Jan in Nebraska and Jim in Ohio? Like, are they going to be pulling for, you know, these kind of crazy flavors? Um, you know, what's your thought on kind of that question? And then what was your thoughts, you know, seeing a brand like this raise? Um, I'll answer your second question first. Like, I, I echo everything that Taylor said. I, I, I really like how transparent Paul is. I, I think Paul's one of the better founders out there. And like, like in, in, in like a very quiet way. He doesn't mm -hmm. yeah. like, like demand the spotlight, but he deserves it. Um, I, think, I think the other thing that I hope founders take for this is like, hey, Paul just set a really high bar with a very reasonably priced round with very good growth. A, you know, a very attractive multiple and very high gross margins. Like 
I think there's a decent chance that he is almost almost break even next year. If you're not those things, why do you think you deserve a, a you know you know a higher valuation than Paul just got with Ouroboros? Um, and and, and I, I hope a lot of founders are asking themselves that right now. Um, I, I, to, to me, that he becomes one of the bars to to measure things against going forward. Um, as far as do I think the flavors can break out? Like I've I've always thought so, but I think that's the biggest question. And like the one thing, like we're, we're about to find out um, because he's got a lot of. Um, non-specialty natural authorized next year. He's got a lot of Walmarts, a lot of Targets, a lot of Costcos, a lot of Kroger's. Um, so if he hits his numbers next year, the answer is yes. Yeah, and it's, and so like, um, I believe, I mean, this is public information, but like the last three months, they've been our most requested beverage brand on the platform. And we, you know, we have over 500 brands, about half of those are beverages. It is on WeStock too, because it's also on Snack Magic. It is by far and away the largest requested beverage on Snack Magic. Yeah, I think yeah. it's 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 been the number one overall. Hopwater might have recently overtaken them because they've been really picking up steam. Um, but yeah, like uh, people seem to love that product. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think... Yet another proof point that Paul's getting it done. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, let's close it out with a topic I think both of you will know really well. Uh, so Drizzly launched a new ad network. Um, I think we're seeing this kind of ad network play a lot. They're trying to lure more alcohol brands um, onto the platform. Um, CJ, we'll start with you. What was kind of your thoughts on this positioning by Drizzly? Uh, and do you think it's a kind of a successful play by the company? I do. I, I think the number one thing here is capacity. Um, I, I, a, a lot of people imagine what an ad network can be, whether or not that's digital or even in store. I've had some conversations with some folks who want to put it in store. And I, I, I think, I think what, what a, a lot of people don't necessarily realize is an ad network by definition needs eyeballs. Um, and, and it's, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of a virtuous cycle. Like, because Drizzly is at the scale it is with the amount of stores it is and the amount of users that it has and its access to, to the Uber network, um, that's going to make it much more attractive for Diageo to deploy a lot of money. Like you come up with a solution for Diageo for ads, but they can't deploy $10 million against it. Um, it's, it's infinitely less attractive to them. They're like, Hey, that's great. It's wonderful that you can show me that kind of conversion, but sounds like to me, like you don't have enough users to really, you know, it's like, and it's kind of like, Ooh, like I'm not exactly reinventing the fucking wheel here. Scale begets more scale. I think, I think we all intuitively understand that, but Drizzly's now at a place where it's got enough capacity for its ad network and enough different ways to deploy it, that all of the majors can, can, can start to say, hey, here's my Drizzly budget going forward. And, and, and then from a company standpoint, you can have enough account executives and reps and plans to grow that every year. Um, but you, but you, don't, you don't get to big numbers if you don't have the top 10 MSAs, or sorry, you know, MSAs with the top 10 major suppliers and all of them plowing money into you every year. Yeah, no, I love that insight. And uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think it was a, a great move and it'll be um, it'll be great to see how these other beverage brands start to take advantage of, of their customer network and, and how to position it. Um, Taylor, how about you? What was your thoughts when you kind of saw this move by Drizzly? Um, I'll just read what I was, I, I think that was quoted in like the this story that you said, the modern retail. And I didn't really have much prolific things to say, to be quite honest. I just... <laughs> 
<laughs> they're like, like, but you were like, hey, let me I offer write? up a quote. What? No, they called me. The they, they called me first thing in the morning. I was like, I didn't know this happened. Um, I said as a landscaper, but I won't read, I won't read line by line. No, I just said, look, I think it, I agree. I said, I think it makes a lot of sense. It was a strategic move. What I had put here, which I will read, is just as the landscape gets more and more concentrated and competitive, I do believe that brands will need to prioritize strategic advertising to keep up. Additionally, I said that most of these emerging brands don't necessarily have like the mass market capabilities like a Diageo printer card. With that being said, I think that like for some of these smaller emerging brands, like if they have, if the platform has eyeballs to CJ's point and they're already on the platform and the audience is there, this may be kind of a one-stop shop for them. Um, and they may want to leverage this versus trying to kind of spread their shekels out all over. It makes sense. Um, it, so, even yeah. though that is the opposite of what I said, I actually still agree with Taylor. Like my, <laughs> my, my, my point was was more that if I'm Drizzly, the only way my I make money doing this oh. is ultimately I'm selling to the top 10 suppliers. However, if I've built something that is large enough to sell the top 10 suppliers, then yes. Also, if you have a good strategy, SMBs can benefit as well. But from a you know, from a drizzly standpoint, from a strategy standpoint, you don't do this unless you have visions of getting so big that that you can have a ten million dollar, you know, you know, retainer with Diageo every year, and, that, and that's yeah. where the conversation starts. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I see. I thought about it as like the small business side of things always, because that's where my mind goes. Um, but obviously, like those contract sizes probably aren't going to make sense off the bat. So them getting probably early indicators from bigger companies, like obviously, makes a lot more sense than kind of where I thought the play was here. So, um, ser- serving small and medium sized businesses frequently makes sense for SaaS, like, like that, like, and 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 people automatically go and say, well, an ad network is by definition SaaS. But from if your ad network is a Rails that consumer goods are using, and especially alcohol, we're talking like ninety percent concentration of volume owned by the top ten majors. So like you always have to layer that in and say, okay, this like this thing just like yeah, in QuickBooks works because it works with SMBs. Ninety percent of all accounting needs are not you know are are not concentrated in a small number of players. But when, when you're dealing with BevAlk, if you aren't eventually serving the majors to some degree, you probably don't have a very scalable business. Totally agree. Awesome. Uh, well, I think it was a great, uh, great lineup of topics this week. Uh, really appreciate uh, everybody. If you're going to be at Expo East, uh, please let me know. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, it'd be great to see everybody. Uh, definitely stop by our event that we're going to have on Friday night. And uh, yeah, that's it for us this week. 